Hey, this is Max, and welcome to the Ronin System Podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest. He's a very good friend of mine, almost like a mentor to me, just an old man. Um, Ethan, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. I'm Ethan Chandler. I own Phoenix Fitness and Martial Arts. I've trained with Max for quite a while. We actually trained together at a previous martial arts school before that closed down, and he stayed with us training as we opened our own place. And... Uh, so I, don't, I guess today we'll just talk about yeah we're just, we're, we're gonna talk about you you know I um, mean you're a well traveled person I like to say you know you you've had a lot of different experiences from what you've told me mm-hmm. um, could all be lies I don't know <laughs> but um, you know just just starting a gym just owning a business that's that's something that a lot of people want to do it's something that you know it's a it's a big dream for people and what I wanted to ask first of all is just just how you got started you know like what was what were the steps you took. From basically when you were a kid to, to this is what I want to do. That's awesome. Yeah, let me go back to, I think it actually starts when I was a kid. Because I was small, skinny, shy. I was pretty intelligent, but not very tough, not good at sports. And the small town in New Hampshire where I grew up, that wasn't respected. You had to be tough, you had to be good at sports, anything else you were just made fun of. So I would get picked on and beat up on the way to school, sometimes by my supposed friends. Uh, I got abused at recess. Um, here's the games we played. We played tackle football and in tackle football, they had a favorite play and it was called Ethan up the middle. (laughs) And the other team would start chanting Ethan up the middle, which meant my team had to hand it off to me and I had to run up the middle with no blockers. And the other team got to gang tackle and just pig pile on top of me. And then sometimes my own team would jump on top too. So that was one of the favorite plays. And then the other thing we had at recess. So we had a gang. There's a bunch of little white kids in New Hampshire, by the way. Yeah, a gang. <laughs> but they called themselves a gang, and they decided there was an initiation. And the initiation was they would all grab me by my arms and legs, and they would go one, two, three, and they would swing and throw me up in the air as high as possible and then run back and just let me hit the ground. This is like frozen tundra ground, so just slamming into it. I got initiated at least once a week, sometimes every day. Yeah, I was going to say, you're probably like the new member every other every, week. Like, that was it. So... You know, just and then to go home, and my dad would use physical punishment, um, anything from his hand to his belt. To it got a little worse at some points when he got really mad. So I just felt, you know, helpless as a kid. Like, man, I just everybody beats me physically. So I started lifting weights. I saw this ad actually, um, and you're probably too young to remember it, but there was a Charles Atlas. It was this cartoon ad that would be in the back of comic books. And it would show this small, skinny kid, and he's at the beach with his girlfriend, and some big bully kicks sand in his face and threatens him. And he goes home, and he sends out for this this secret system, and he gets it, and he does all the work, and he's now hulking and jacked. And, and he goes, and he beats up the bully, and the girlfriend likes him again. And it, for me, as a kid, seeing that, that was powerful. So I immediately scrounged up my money, sent away for it. And it was the most ridiculous set of like body weight isometric exercises, you know, squeezing your hands together as hard as possible. It was supposed to build mass. Of course it didn't. Um, but to its credit, it got me interested in physical training. And so from there, it was getting the Joe Weider weight set down in my basement, the sand-filled weights and lifting those, reading Muscle and Fitness magazine and all the other magazines, just trying to learn as much as I could, lifting as much as I could, hoping to get as big and strong as I could. I didn't because I didn't have the genetics for it, but it started a lifelong path of lifting weights and it did give me confidence. So I think that helped. So by the time I got into middle school, early into high school, at least a lot less confidence issues, a little bit better at sports. 
And um, so that was really helpful. But that alone wasn't enough for me because I didn't know how to fight. So I was more confident in avoiding things. Um, but I remember one particular incident. It was sophomore year in high school. I was dating this girl, and I won't say much about her, but um, it was a mistake. <laughs> and at some point, she ended up cheating on me with this other dude. And she said it wasn't anything, you know, that was going to continue, but of course it did. And this other guy was a, he was a high school dropout. He was a drug dealer and drug user. And of course I just, I was frustrated. Um, so I remember one day in the lunchroom, she was on the phone talking to him and I grabbed the phone away and I said some shit to the guy. I don't remember what, but enough to like, fuck off your piece of shit. And, and then we, you know, I hung up the phone, walked away. I was just pissed. He decided, based on that call, that he was going to come to school and teach me a lesson. And so this is way back in the day when you could actually just walk into a school. You could even carry a weapon into a school, as this kid did. He brought a knife into the school. Walked the hallways, telling everybody, do you know Ethan Chandler? I'm after him. You tell him. I'm waiting outside for him. And even showed some of the kids his knife. So here's this kid walking the schools, the hallways of a school, with a knife, threatening me. And what do all my friends do? They run and tell the teachers, the principal, and they're like, no, no, no. They all come like, dude, you got to go out there and fight this guy. Come on, let's go. Let's, let's see it. So, of course, I have to go out there, 3 o'clock or whatever school gets out, and we go out in the back parking lot, and there's this dude. And at this point, of course, I'm going to chicken out. I'm just going to – I'm not going to fight him. I'm just tell him, look, all right, fine. In fact, I did. I told him, like, look, you won. You got the girl. I'm not going to fight you. This was stupid. And he's like, all right, come here. So – he made me walk with him. I don't know if it was intentional or not, all the way up off school grounds, outside the parking lot, onto a street, and just, you know, we started talking. And at that point, he said, but we're still going to have to fight. I'm like, no, we don't. Like, you got it. You, you won. He's like, takes out the knife. He says, I don't even need this knife. I'm just going to beat you with my bare hands, but you get one shot. Go ahead and take it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. And he just, one shot. This is it. So I took a swing, cracked him right across the jaw. And he just shook it off and then came wading in, just throwing haymakers left and right, beating me upside the head. He beat me all the way back down into the parking lot, like a good 50 yards, just swinging, punching me, getting hit, 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 hit. Until at some point, I just remember doubling over and then looking up and seeing his stomach and just throwing, I don't know, maybe like a straight punch. And of course, now in hindsight, I realized I hit him in the solar plexus, but I hit him and he just dropped. And then I was just on top, just wailing away, bouncing his head off the pavement until... Enough people finally stopped us, and then, of course, you know, he was, he was a mess, but my girlfriend carried him home, helped him, helped him home, so didn't win that. Um, but it was really eye-opening to me. A, I won a fight, my first big fight in high school, my only big fight in high school. Um, so I realized that that was a valuable skill to have if you needed to protect yourself, but I also realized I didn't know what I was doing. I'd been getting beat. It was one lucky punch. So that is what led me then, when I finally went off to college, we didn't have a good martial arts option in the town I grew up in but when I went off to college there was a taekwondo club started with that and then of course from taekwondo to Shotokan karate and then Muay Thai and jiu-jitsu it just started a lifelong pattern for me of martial arts first to protect myself which I actually had to do a couple times in college um, but then after just for the, the health benefits physical and mental for the camaraderie uh, for the confidence and, and just for the game. I mean, now in jujitsu, it's a game, right? We're not learning self-defense skills. Yeah. I'm less likely to ever use them now than, than ever before, but every day we're on the mat, it's a game. 
I'm trying to figure out how to set somebody up, how to get out of something they set up. And to me, that's just that mental challenge that also carries over in helping me in business and everything else. So that's my somewhat quick childhood story of how did I get into lifting? How did I get into martial arts? Because I felt like there's no other option. Yeah, and it just became like a, a passion, right? And I mean, I get asked this a lot. I'm sure you do too. You know, people are like, oh, what uh, what martial arts should I do and things like that. And it's just like, I always say jiu-jitsu, is, it's all sport. You know, taekwondo, it's sport. Karate, it's sport. All Judo, it's all sport, you know? And the only reason I would choose jiu-jitsu over everything else isn't because, you know, you learn grappling or whatever or, or you learn like humility or, or anything like that. It's the pure fact that you have to get uncomfortable being or you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable you know we're, we're put in positions where there's literally like ball sacks in our face sometimes you know like we have to grab certain Way to parts sell of it. the body everybody wants to go do jujitsu now yeah so it's just like <laughs> oh, you know <laughs> you had me a ball sack <laughs> <laughs> but but there's things that you have to do that you really it, it helps you understand that that you know it, it can be life or death you know it's so it doesn't matter who who you're going against or what you're doing you just have to do it you know, and, and the jujitsu is like the only thing that will teach you that. You know, in Taekwondo, you're you're hitting blocks, you're hitting you know, wood boards, you're you're not even, you're not just hitting air. You know, uh, Taekwondo, karate, all that stuff. Judo, you do like one set of moves over and over again. You know, it, it, there's no real, realistic portion of it. You know, and so, what I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, aside from all the fights that you you've been in and you know the, all the badass stuff you did when you were younger. <laughs> no, man. I was a um, just punk kid of, that got beat up a lot. Yeah, just kind of slowing down, you know, because you're older now, and and a lot of your, uh, I guess, clientele, you know, they're they're people that have never even thought about being in a fight. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're people that have never even been in a gym uh, for some of them. And so, I mean, if you guys come to Richmond, Virginia, if you guys go to like this this gym, this Phoenix, um, it's 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 amazing. You know, it's it's such an environment. Um, if you can get past the owner, you know, owner's, owner's a little <laughs> sketchy, a dick. yeah, but you get past that, you know, everyone's amazing and it's, it's such a community and I just wanted to know, you know, like what, was it something that's naturally happened or, or you actually had the mindset going in to, to make it like a really, really welcoming environment for the things that you do here? I mean, cause you know, you can go to Gold's Gym, they got like weight limits for how much you can lift. There's sound limits for how much you know how much noise you can make. They don't even do any types of martial arts or, or anything like that because it promotes violence. But here we do. You do all that. You know, you want people to express themselves. You want people to throw the weights on the ground. You know, you want people to actually like spar and whatnot. And it's people come here to do that, but they do it in a very I don't know how to say it nice way. Mm-hmm. It's about as easy as it can be. So was was that the mindset going in? Um, to some degree, but of course things evolve. So when I first started out, so I guess to catch others up who don't know our story, um, despite having such a passion for fitness and martial arts, my career was in corporate America. So I went to college, got a degree in economics, uh, did a brief stint in real estate management before getting into a big financial company and working mostly in marketing and credit policy and operations. Uh, and that was my career. And it was a good one. And I did reasonably well. Um, but it was never my passion. And so I always said, well, someday I'll, uh, I'll open a gym. Because I love the gym. And for me, that was my refuge. That was my place I felt comfortable. So I'd always go to the gym. And I thought, well, someday I'll just open my own. But of course, I would look at the economic model and realize, ah, most gyms don't make much money at all. So that won't work for me. And I always said, well, then I'll do it when I'm retired. When I don't need money. 
when my kids are off in school or off on their own. So I didn't have any plans to do it until, and gosh, it's about five or six years now, um, when my mother got brain cancer. So that forced me to take a step back from the company when I was caring for her and start thinking about what I really wanted to do. And that's when I came back to, well, maybe there is a model that I can create that is not the standard, you know, everyday gym where you go in and there's some weights and some treadmills and people put in their headphones and they do their own thing. Uh, That worked for me, but I realized that doesn't work for most people. Most people are missing one of two things um, that, that drive an accountability to go to the gym and that knowledge of what to do when they get there. And so that's when I started going out and looking at some of these really nice boutique, high-end, small gyms, most of them not even franchises, just privately owned, that were doing really well financially. But they were smaller. They had much more that that family feel, that interaction where people felt comfortable going there. And because of that, they were more motivated to go. And then when they went, somebody would give them something to do. And that's always the case in martial arts, right? You, you don't go thinking, I'm just going to have to make up my own workout. The instructor's there. He's leading you through the warm-ups, the, the techniques, the sparring at the end, it's all pre-programmed. You just need to show up. So I realized that model works really well. We've seen that in martial arts. Uh, we started to see it more, you know, the last decade or so in CrossFit, where a tight-knit community that show up, somebody put them through a workout all together. Um, so that was definitely what was in my mind when I said I want to have my own gym. It's not going to be just a bunch of open weights and machines. You come in, you know, pay twenty bucks, go do your own thing. It's going to be more of that high-end family feel instructors leading you through everything and a group of people that you do it with. So that was the model to make it as friendly and um, open and nurturing. No, that's evolved over time. I think that starts to evolve when you realize the people coming in, many of them who've never been in a gym before or tried and didn't work and are really scared and you invest that time in them and you see them flourish and grow and you realize, ah, that's it. I need to do more and more and more of that. And so then that creates a, a, you know, almost this uh, perpetuating cycle of those people who then feel comfortable turn around and do it to the next people that come in. And you see that often in martial arts. Um, I didn't know if we'd be able to see it as much in fitness, but we do where, you know, martial arts, the senior belts, it's almost an expectation. Well, it is an expectation that they are supposed to guide and, and mentor the, the new students coming in. But to see that also in fitness and in other programs where people are just super welcoming once they get comfortable here and they make sure the next group coming in also feels that way. So that's evolved. Uh, that is definitely a, a huge, huge advantage we have in a business like this. It's going to p- keep people coming regularly and it's going to get new people feeling comfortable to come in here. So speaking of evolution, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is just, you know, I was, I was with you through the process and we, we saw the ups and downs. Um, and I just wanted to talk about learning curves, you know, mainly, I guess, you know, any regrets that you had in the in the process? Were, were, was there anything that like you just looked at it and it's like, ah, oh, that probably wasn't a good idea, or maybe it's like this was a terrible idea or anything like that? I mean, there's a million things. That's the so <clears throat> to take a more meta view of it, you're going to have all of those things, and you should. It's like anything. Imagine like you're learning jujitsu. Would you say that anything you did along the way was a mistake? Probably in the macro, nothing. Probably in the micro, it's like, well, that day I tried that arm bar from that position. That was a bad mistake because I didn't, because he was able to get out. And that other time I tried that takedown and I never should have tried it. Like those are all mistakes, but they're all part of the learning journey. And I think that's definitely true when you get into business. You're just going to have those. Let me try this type of marketing. Oh, that was a failure. That didn't work. Let me try to hire that person. Oh, that was a, that was a bad fit. That didn't work. 
you're going to have those. It's almost, you need to expect and almost embrace that. It's like, like in jujitsu, you're going to tap out. In fact, the more times you tap out, the better you're doing because you're probably trying new things. You're putting yourself in new positions. That's going to cause growth. It's the same thing in business. You got to be comfortable with, all right, I'll try this. Uh, I'll try that. Knowing that it might not work and knowing that you can't then beat yourself up about it. You got to take that lesson, move on to the next thing and know that it's the succession of all of those lessons that's going to be your, what leads to ultimate success. So I wouldn't say that there's anything in a, like a big mistake that we've made. Um, I think there's things that like I've recently started hiring people to coach me on things. I think I probably was slow to do that. Uh, I don't know if it's a combination of a little bit of just, I don't know, hubris or arrogance of I'm pretty smart, I'll figure this out, or just a plethora of information out online for free. Hey, I'll go dig around until I find it. Um, you know, it's like training. You can do that. I can go look at a bunch of videos on jujitsu, but it's never going to be the same as having a coach there pushing me sometimes when I don't want to do it, but also just pointing out, hey, in that moment, you should have done this thing. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. So I think that's probably one big lesson for me. Well, um, you know, obviously owning a gym, it's, it's a huge, you know, client facing kind of thing. You ever had any challenges there? Like anyone that you just couldn't, couldn't have in the gym anymore? Um, no names. You know. Yeah. We've done, gosh, I don't think there's anybody that we've had to like kick out of the gym. Um, but that's because we do such a thorough screening process when people come in. They have to sit down, and still to this point, it's either with Renee or myself, we need to eventually expand that to other staff so it's not all on our shoulders, but meeting with everybody and deciding if they're going to be a good fit. And if they're not, we actually make recommendations for other places. So when somebody comes in and says, yeah, I want to be a fighter, and I think I can take everybody and beat them up, get me on the mat, I'll show I'll show how tough I am. Like That's probably not a good fit for us. might not be a good fit for any jiu-jitsu place in general, but it might steer them towards a place that really focuses on training MMA fighters more than, uh, than we do, certainly. Um, or if somebody comes in and says, like, you know, you know, I'm all about Olympic lifting. You don't need to teach me anything. Just let me have the weights and let me do my own thing. Like that, Probably not a fit here. I'm going to send you to there's some other places in town that are much, much better at that. Uh, you're going to get better coaching. It's, a, it's an open environment where you can drop the weights and not scare the hell out of other people like you would here. So it's more recommending up front that they go somewhere else rather than letting them in and then realize that they're a bad fit. One thing um, yeah, we actually talked about a while ago is that it's just a genius idea that really every, every place should do is having basically mandatory private lessons before they start. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you guys are have done martial arts or, or thinking about doing it, there's always a question that comes up like, you know, what, what do I need to do to prepare? And it's just, you know, having a private lesson, the first thing you do before the actual class is incredible because then you actually know what you want to do. And same thing for fitness, you know, you don't know if you've never been in a gym or if you've never done anything like this, you don't know what's going on. And so um, I think we talked about it, but you want to just. Yeah, that was a big. um, So hiring a business coach and in hiring a business coach, having that business coach push this new methodology on me, which I was resistant to the idea of. You have to have somebody do personal training before they move into group. Um, because we have both fitness and martial arts, and I want to have a fairly standard process for all, I was more open to it on the fitness side. Yeah, I can see wanting to coach somebody on how to how to properly do a deadlift before you just throw them in a class where they might be deadlifting um, to assess their movement, to make sure they don't have any limitations you're going to need to modify things for. 
Um, so that made sense to me, but I struggled with it on the martial arts side because every martial art I've ever joined, it was just jump into the group. Yeah, some senior student is going to come over and coach you through a few things and help you not feel like a total idiot, but you're still going to go through that. And I just like, well, that's the way it's always done. Um, you know, if you look back in history, that probably was not the case, right? It was almost always a one-on-one mentoring relationship with uh, an instructor. And then it was only probably in, uh, I don't know, the last whatever, 100 years or so, it started to be more group classes, certainly here in the U.S., where it's more of a business model. So that was really a hard thing for me to get my head wrapped around is that we're going to force everybody to do a private lesson. The shocking thing for me when we started telling people that was just how receptive they were. It wasn't like, oh, you're putting this big hurdle in front of me. I got to pay a lot of money and do one-on-one before I can jump in the group. It was, oh, thank God. Somebody's going to coach me one-on-one. They're going to show me some of the basics. They're going to teach me what to do, how to, in jiu-jitsu, when do I bow? Who do I bow to? Where do I line up? What are these warm-ups? What is this thing they're doing where they're falling down and getting up in this weird way? Having somebody coached on all that before they get into group class, they're just so much more likely to succeed. So our retention rates have just been phenomenally higher since we started that. So huge, huge learning for me. One, I was probably late to the game on. Um, And really eye-opening for me to see that, yeah, in fitness it'll work, but maybe even more so in martial arts. Teaching somebody in, you know, boxing or Muay Thai how to wrap their hands first, how to hold pads for somebody before they jump into a class and feel like an idiot when they're throwing the pads all around and somebody can't hit them. That was a, that was a big one for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, even, even in fitness, but like martial arts, especially there's this thing that I like to say, it's the, um, the economy of movement, you know, the economy of motion and like in jujitsu, it's, it's extremely important because if you don't know how to do like, if you don't know how to move your hips, right. Or if you don't know how to, um, you know, fall, falling is one of the most important things in any martial art, because if you don't know how to fall, then you're going to hurt yourself even more, you know? And, you know, no one knows how to fall. Even a lot of jiu-jitsu guys don't know how to fall because it wasn't ingrained in their minds. But have you seen, like, technique improvement over time with these people that actually did, like, the privates? Yes. In fact, some of them will then actually ask for more privates down the road, saying, wow, that was really helpful, and I'm struggling on this one thing. Hey, coach, can I get some more of your time to work on this? So um, they definitely progressed faster. Uh, and are just more comfortable in whichever program they joined. Um, I'm going to jump off real quick that um, that falling down thing. I want to really emphasize, like, if you haven't done jiu-jitsu, judo, or anything where they teach breakfalls, you really should. If you never even get in an altercation, you're probably at some point going to fall down. And, and I'm sure I've told Max this story, but I'll tell everybody A else here. Times. Yeah, like several <laughs> times. And I tell everybody who comes into jiu-jitsu this story where – like we, you do break falls and forward and backward rolls every single class as part of the warm ups. And so when you think you do, you know, three or four forward rolls down the mat every class and you do every class for however many times a week, you know, at, at some point you've done hundreds, thousands of those. So it just becomes second nature. Um, for me, that was really important because uh, at some point, my one of my brothers and I decided it would be a great idea to take some kid scooters and go down a long winding road. Um, and that didn't turn out so well for us. Uh, my brother hit a pothole first and wiped out, and I was right behind him. And so without thinking, I just forward rolled over him, actually, and came up reasonably unharmed, maybe a little bruise somewhere because it was on pavement. Um, but he just got horrifically injured. I mean, just not, not only the cuts and bruises, you know, I, I think he cracked a rib, had some internal bleeding. It was just, it was really, really bad. For me, that was one of the most eye-opening things of, oh, my God, that jujitsu stuff I've been doing now 
maybe just save me at least from hospitalization. Everybody should learn how to fall down. So if you do jujitsu, learn those break falls and those rolls. It may be the most important thing that you learn out of that martial art. Yeah, uh, kind of like a part of that. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I used to longboard a lot. Um, and I was obviously I was still training at the time. But I remember going down this huge hill and um, obviously we wiped out. But I instinctively went into a forward roll. And the only reason I got hurt was because I, um, I, I was terrible at accuracy. I missed where I wanted to go and I hit a tree instead. <laughs> so I, I got a scar on my back. But uh, a buddy of mine, he just he didn't do anything. He just kind of skidded across the concrete and mm. and like, I mean, it, it looked like a World War II hospital when we took him to the bathroom to get him cleaned up. Blood everywhere. His whole arm was like it was missing skin. But you know, like Ethan said, it's it's something that's extremely important. You have to n- know how to fall. And jujitsu, judo, those are the things that will really kind of ingrain it in your mind that if you fall correctly, you will not get hurt. Or you're less likely to get hurt unless a tree comes out of nowhere. So just kind of branching back into, you know, the, the gym and, and the business, what's the ultimate goal here? It's a really good question because this is one where when I talked to my business coach, he was thrown off a bit because he's asking, all right, when are you going to expand and how big do you want to get? And are you going to open more locations? And so far, my answer has always been no. I, I just don't have any interest in that. Um I want to create something that's one of the best small gyms, not one of the biggest. I have no interest in franchising. Uh, I have no interest in continuing to get bigger and bigger until it's just thousands of people and I don't know anybody. Uh, and maybe, who knows, you interview me again in five years and I may be like, what a, what a naive fool I was at that time. Of course, that was the right answer. I like that special feeling when everybody feels like they're a close-knit community and works out together. And so I think I've got to find a way where we continue to create that. I, I can imagine at some point we literally have a waiting list where people are, hey, I want to get into that program while we don't have any space in the 6 p.m. jiu-jitsu. I, I can give you this morning class or this other afternoon class, and I can put you first on the list to move into the evening class when somebody in that group moves out. But um, but literally have a make it so special that people want to get in here and that there's a waiting list to get in here and that the people here never want to leave because it feels so special. I'd rather have that and then be able to refer people to other places. Because there are many other good gyms, good martial arts places. We're not, I want to be one of the best, but we're not going to be the only one, certainly. So to be able to connect people with other gyms that might be a good fit for them, if we aren't a good fit or don't have the space for them. And then ultimately maybe do some coaching of other gym owners myself. I think that would probably be where I'd be more passionate. Because I think most people who get into a you know fitness martial arts business, and this is probably true of many other small businesses, they got into it because they loved the craft, they loved what they were doing, and they thought, "Gosh, I just don't want to work for somebody else doing this. I want to do it myself." And so they go into business thinking, "Well, I'm just going to rent a space and do what I do, and people are going to flock to me." And what they probably, what well, I know they don't realize, is that the minute you do that, your job of coaching people, of teaching people, is pretty much over. Your job is now a business owner. Your job needs to be all the marketing and the sales and the accounting and finance and customer experience, you know, making sure bathrooms are cleaned and people are being notified of changes in schedules. Like that is your job and you need to do that. And that's why so many businesses, good business owner, well, good martial arts or fitness people get into business, aren't good business owners and then fail. So I would love at some point to coach those people on their own vision, their own dream. It won't be our gym. It'll be I can give them elements of what worked really well here and coach them on that. So I think that's the goal. 
just to be basically a, a powerhouse, you know, like a, a local intimate powerhouse where, where people kind of look at you and, and look at this place and think like that's the dream right there. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it because I would like to, I would certainly like to make our business the best. I would like to help other businesses in the area get better by getting them the right type of people into their businesses. So um, one of the things I try to do is also connect with other fitness and martial arts business owners, regularly go have lunches with them, uh, go visit their place, try out their their fitness or their martial arts so that I can know what they offer and make good recommendations to people. Um, so I think building the best one, helping others, and then eventually inspiring and coaching others to do something like this. So they don't just try to open up their own, hope it works, fail, have to go back, you know, working some other nine to five job again for somebody else with a bunch of debt or a bankruptcy because they couldn't make it work. It's just painful to watch somebody pursue their dream and fail it because they didn't have the business knowledge. Yeah. I mean, you know, just thinking about because I've wanted to own my own gym. Right. And for you, I think you're actually in a very you you were in a very unique situation because you had come from corporate corporate America for what twenty ish mm-hmm. years, and you know even if this place does fail, which is very unlikely, but if if it does, you know you you have a backup. You're you're in a spot where you can just go back and and not restart, but you know you, you're going to start off in a good spot. And you know this this is all just something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. You know, like like me or other people that we've met, where it's like. They're they're good at what they do, but they're not good at the business part. Or they're good at the business part. They're just not good at the other, you know, the other portion, right. being the instructor. And so, I mean, I think for you, that's that's the dream. You know, that's that's just the dream. And um, you know, let's let's talk about the name Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were um, we were struggling to come up with a name. One of the things I did learn from I, I follow a lot of other really successful small gym owners, and there's um. You know, there's a great one up in the Northeast, uh, Cressy Sports Performance. Um, primarily focus on baseball players, pro players, but also general fitness for people who live in that area. And uh, Eric Cressy runs it and his business partner, Pete Dupuy, who puts out a lot of good content on running gyms. One of the things they emphasized was never use your name in your business name because people, two things. One, you're never going to be able to sell it if you want. And, of course, nobody gets into business thinking they want to sell it. But at some point, somewhere along the line, you may have to. And that becomes a limiting factor. Um, but the other is then people expect when they go to Cressy Sports Performance that they're going to get to work with Eric Cressy. And at some point, he realized, like, I've got a team of talented staff. Some of them are now better than me. But people come in and see the name. And so, you know, if it's Chandler's Fitness and Martial Arts, they're going to want to work with, you know, all right, who's the guy who runs that place and – do I get to work with him? Oh, I get to work with somebody else. So we had to make sure it was going to be a name that wasn't our name. Um, so then we've struggled. But I know that – so I, I grew up, again, because I wasn't big into sports. Um, I you know, I read a lot. I, I loved mythology. And so I started thinking about the Phoenix and how – my life had been a transformation because of fitness and martial arts. I was able to, you know, be figuratively reborn and how I saw myself and how others would see me. And so we thought about that, that symbolism of if you're, you know, heavy and you want to lose weight, you can literally transform yourself. Um, if you're weak and you can get strong, if you aren't able to defend yourself and you're able to, um, but, and not just the physical transformation, the, again, that, that mindset, that how you view yourself, the self-image transformation, which is so powerful that we, we really love that. And we finally said, all right, we're going to go with Phoenix. Now, of course, 
everybody will ask, A, is it a franchise, or B, is it in Phoenix? So we'll still get calls from people. I'm like, no, you know, that city's actually named after the mythological bird, too. But, um, and people have said you should change it to something, something RVA to make it more, you know, easily known around here. There's always debates about name. At some point, you do have to just pick a name and stick with it. Um, we love the love the symbolism and the mythology, so that's the name we're sticking with. Yeah, it's um, you know, I'm gonna get to the reason why I mentioned that, but just an aside, the the gym I train at now um, down in Charlotte is called Top Martial Arts, Top Martial Arts and Fitness. So if you try and Google that, you're just gonna get a bunch of different like Google searches of like oh top ten mm, martial arts or point. anything like that, yeah. and so you're never actually gonna find the gym, but it's it's just it's just a funny thing but um the reason i mentioned phoenix was because you know if you guys know the story of of where me and ethan actually started you know it's it's a wild ride and we actually i mean we talked about this you know we got the opportunity to basically it's like a rebirth you know Mm -hmm. we we got to remake everything that it was and and bring every everybody back we even had people from like way back in like in the very beginning come back you know it was just a it was a wild ride um but being a business owner, you know, owning this business, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, let's let's go through a day in the life of Ethan Chandler. You know, how do, how do you start your day? When do you start your day? Yeah, it's a great question. So we are fortunate now that we have some great staff who can come in. It used to be we were covering everything from 530 in the morning till, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night when we close up. Um yeah, that's that, you know, whole, you're a brand new small business owner, you're going to do everything yourself, uh, and you have all this passion and fire and you don't mind doing it, but that's not going to last very long. You got to really realize pretty quickly you're going to burn out unless you start getting staff to help you. So um, we have staff who come in, open the gym early in the morning and run it. Um, Renee will come in usually sometime about, you know, eight or so in the morning. So she can also be here. She covers some stuff in the morning. Um I'm mostly helping get the kids off to school, taking care of the dogs, doing some stuff around the house. Uh, morning time is my learning time, so that's when I'm, I listen to a ton of podcasts, some fitness, mostly business now. Um, and then I usually get in eh, about mid-morning, maybe about 10 or so. Most of my day from, let's say, 10 till 4 or 5 is actually some of the most mundane, boring stuff, the stuff that's the most critical for the business that nobody sees or nobody would want to go through. This is updating reports and putting numbers in spreadsheets and following up on leads, calling people, emailing, texting. It's um, making sure that we've got people scheduled. If they've got one-on-one lessons with trainers, that those are all scheduled. Um, checking on our marketing, seeing if certain campaigns are starting to, to decline and refreshing them. So it's just a lot of behind the scenes stuff that actually makes the business work that nobody sees. What people do see is, to be fair, the most fun part of the job, which is in the evening when I finally wind all that down as much as I can. And then my role primarily is being the face of the business. So when people come in, they'll meet with me in the evening, literally sit at this table, do the uh, consultation, walk around, show them the gym, see if we're a good fit for them or not. Um, But then otherwise, I'm out on the floor. I like to watch the training going on, talk to people. Uh, I do a lot of the social media work I do then, grabbing a lot of videos and pictures. Uh, if you watch the Instagram stories, that's about, you know, most of the content I get is during that time. Um, I, the trainers who are in earlier in the day will give me stuff that they've they've been able to capture too. Um, but those are the moments I live for. So that's that time when I actually get frustrated if 
for some reason I have to do something business wise that pulls me away from that. And sometimes that happens. Um, but that's my favorite time when the energy's high, when people are here laughing, joking, learning stuff, getting stronger, getting better. Uh, I'm able to capture it. Some of the funny moments. It's, um, that's a special time. A lot of dirty jokes. Uh, yeah, some of them. You know, <laughs> we can keep it. You know, PG thirteen for the most part. Um, for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> but what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Um, but I, but come back to, you know, how hard it is to be a gym or martial arts school owner, is because I think that's the piece that people would see. So when people come in, they would just see that and go, God, that's what I want to do. I want to be that dude that runs his own place, that gets to walk around like, you know, cock of the walk, look at him. He gets to just do all the videos and pictures and talk to people and give some tips on training. And man, that's the life. And of course, that's like the tip of the iceberg and they don't see yeah. underneath all the stuff that's gone into from the first thing in the morning. I'm continuing to learn new stuff about business and about finance and about um, Picking commercial colors. real estate. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, you, you name it. Like, um, I have to learn how to properly maintain shower drains with certain kinds of enzymes so funk doesn't build up and make a smelly shower. Like, who would want to do that? Nobody. Even I, I don't want to do it. I love business ownership. Those things, you have to do them. And that has to be the majority of your day. Because then you get that, that icing on the cake, that, that fun time in the evening uh, or whenever it is that you know, you're busy doing the, the thing you love, the reason you got into the business. Um, but for most people, yeah, I never forget that most of it's going to be that grind behind the scenes, the stuff that you probably didn't even know you had to do, you're going to have to do, or, you know, at some point hire somebody to do it more and more. We're now trying to offload that to our other staff, hiring a marketing company to do more of the marketing for us. We've got to find ways to offload some of that stuff, but it's always going to be there. Somebody has to do it. Yeah. I mean, just owning a business, especially a business like this, where you're, you're catering to a certain thing like martial arts or fitness or whatever, you're basically going to have to make the sacrifice of never being able to do it, right? Yeah. You basically have to make the sacrifice of, you know, if, if I'm a fitness junkie, like I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I want to open a gym, I'm not going to be able to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger at that point. You know, it's I'm going to be able to provide the image for him, but just I won't be able to actually be him, you know, yeah. be like him. And, um, you know, coming to that, you're still very experienced in every aspect that you do here, you know, like the fitness and the martial arts and all that. You ever have people that come up to you specifically for your like private lessons? Um, I do, but you know, I think it's been a long time since I've done one because my job at this point is to create the best environment for our members, for our staff. I need to feed our staff. Right? I need to give them the best jobs they can have. And so anytime I would do any of that, it's taking away from them having that job where they're they're perfecting their craft, where they're getting paid to do what they're good at, what they came here to do. So other than a rare case where somebody is out, they've already booked a session with somebody or there's a class scheduled and somebody just can't make it last second, something happens, you know, Renee and I will, will step in and do it. Um, but the goal is to never have to do that, to have enough staff and have them be good at their job and really want to do it. So that we should be doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do or can do which is bring people in here, sign them up, give them the best facility, the best staff, the just the best experience. Like that's our job. All right, let's let's flip the script on this question. Have you ever wanted to get a private from one of the coaches or instructors here? Um, well, obviously I have the benefit of being in the jiu-jitsu class with David who was the best instructor ever. Um, and there are some days when nobody else shows up and it's just me and him. 
I get a private lesson. There is nothing better. And I'm paying him for that because I'm paying his salary. Um, but those moments are special. I probably need to do that a bit more on the fitness side. I think there's probably some, you know, I've been doing it long enough and I think I'm pretty good at it. But it, again, it's that I don't know what I don't know. I'm probably doing something poor in my deadlift form or there's some other exercise I should be doing that I'm probably not doing because I just don't like it, but I need it. And so I probably need to have one of our coaches actually just start coaching me there too, just because I think I'm missing something. Um, again, though, I got to be careful I don't take up their limited time. We have some of our trainers who are now getting to max capacity. And so I have to be thoughtful that I'm not actually taking their time. I mean, I would still pay them for it, but it's actually blocking off time that some other client member wants to come in and, and train with them. And we say, ah, they're full because I'm training with them. Yeah. So I got to be careful about that. Yeah, the reason I asked is because, you know, you're still passionate about it. You, you still have that drive. And I guess in the martial art realm, it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal because you're in a group setting. You have people there uh, constantly watching form and whatnot. But I feel like one of the biggest disadvantages in fitness is that if you don't have a training partner, you don't have someone basically watching your back. You yeah. know, if, if your form is shitty and it doesn't feel shitty, you know, it it's, it's still shitty. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. You That's know? true. And so you know, the reason I ask is, you know, if you ever felt like uh, you ever plateau on your deadlift, like you're talking about, yeah. or, you know, you can't get that 400 up and there's maybe like something wrong with your, your hips or something, you know, someone else is going to be able to see that for you. Um, so yeah, that's just the reason why I asked. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's again, one of those things that I'm not doing it. I think I probably should. And I'm mostly rationalizing why I can't cause I just don't have the time or, and at some point I just need to make the call of, no, I need to do this. Same thing like you know, I said with a business coach. For so long I said, I don't think I need one. I don't think I need one until I really needed one. And then I hired one and they solved not only that problem, but the other things that I hadn't even thought of were problems. Uh, and it launched me forward. So I probably need to do that with my own fitness. So um, just brief question because we're, we're, you know, at, at this gym, you know, there's there's pretty much an aspect of everything. You know, fitness, you had um, a nutrition portion, I believe, at one mm -hmm. point. You know, martial arts for the emo emotional and mental stability. Um, there's a buddy of mine back down in Charlotte. He actually has a very similar gym style to this. And one of his, I guess, classes, it's more of just like private sessions, is um, spirituality. Just aligning your, your spirit with with everything else, you know, because it's it's a triangle. You know, you, you have to have the physicality, you have to have the mentality, mm -hmm. but most importantly, you have to be like, f you have to have faith in yourself. You have to be spiritually strong. And one of the things he does, you know, there's meditation and all that. You ever thought about doing anything like that? Just uh, crossing your mind? Um, possibly. I think the, the challenge I found. So we've tried some other things that felt like they were complementary, but not in our lane, like yoga. Yoga is probably the best example. We've tried yoga now three times. By the way, we're not the only small gym that's tried yoga multiple times. I, I can't tell you how many CrossFit owners have tried this. Uh, it's always the, God, that would be such a great compliment to this. And yet it never seems to fit. I think there's, there's this idea that when I go for like hard martial arts, strength training, I'm in this certain type of environment. And then when I go for yoga or meditation, I need to go to this wildly different type of environment. And so that's why yoga studios do really well, but you don't see yoga studios ever trying to add weights mm -hmm. and do any lifting. 
but you know the strength training gyms are always trying to add some yoga on the side like oh you can just go do some stretching yoga thing over there and we can have a class and I think there has to be the the environment and the culture around it so I definitely agree that you need body mind and spirit and I definitely agree that we probably need more focus on the spiritual side I just don't know that it would be a fit in something like this I think it'd probably be better if somebody else opened a place that was a meditation spiritual place and you went and did it there just um and i'd love it if somebody you know opened up next door and did that i think it's i still think it's an awesome compliment i just don't think we can put it in here and have it work or i haven't figured it out yet and i don't think anybody else has so um if your buddy jimona there is figuring it out like connect me it's, it's me getting know. there it's getting because there. i'd love um, to see it if it's finally somebody cracking that code or if it's you know, like anything seems like a good start and then it fizzles out because there's nothing except his passion really driving it and realize there isn't, isn't many other people interested in it. Uh, another question, just business related as well. You ever thought about like a communal bookstore? Just like a book rental area? Because, you know, books is, is a major thing aside from like podcasts now. I mean, you know, I, I, I try and read as much as I can. And sometimes I just find like I, I can't buy more books, you know, and so... In my mind, I imagined at one point, what if there was just a kind of like a communal bookstore where you could go to like your local gym and, you know, you, you do your workout, you pick up a book and then you return it in like a week or so after you're done. You ever thought about anything like that? I haven't. Obviously, I have um, I have hundreds and hundreds of books. I've read so many. I've got a whole bookshelf here. I've got several bookshelves at home. Um, so I'm passionate about reading and learning more. I, I can't tell you how many times though I've loaned books out and they don't come back. So, um yeah, you get those little um, little folders they put in it, and you get the punch card, and you have a punch card here. You yeah, and, back and calling them every day. It's a, so it's a great idea. It's um, and I, because I'm passionate about reading, I would do anything to get others to read some books that I think would be really helpful for them. Um, but no, in terms of all the logistics of putting something like that together, because again, coming back to you know, like focus on what you're really good at and excel at delivering that, and be really thoughtful about distracting yourself or pulling attention away on anything else I think we've tried that a couple times on some other services we wanted to offer other ideas and we just haven't been able to pull it off because it pulls so much time away and we got to decide like do we really want to get down that path or do we need to focus on what we're the main product we're delivering uh, and one final question again about the community um, just again I mentioned it earlier where there's just a strong community here and everyone's you know I feel like everyone's friends with everyone and one thing that really helps maintain that is um, not flashing lights like we just experienced, but I'm glad it was you looking at me too. Yeah, I thought it was just me. <laughs> but um, you know, get-togethers like UFC events yep. or, or even just like barbecues. How often or if at all do you, do you try and do those? We do not enough because it's usually somebody else pushing and saying we should do this, and then we do it, and it's a great success. So we've done. UFC fight nights, um, either going out to someplace or even doing it here in the gym. Um, when one of our trainers, Myra, was on American Ninja Warrior and was televised, we actually ran it on the screen up here in the gym, and everybody came in to watch that. Um, let's see. More recently, we did uh, we did a big cookout this summer. It was a big hit, and um, and we're talking about doing. You know, we're coming up on our fourth year, um, end of the fourth year. So going into our fifth, maybe doing like throwing ourselves a birthday party and inviting not only the gym members, but everybody else who's ever been a part of the gym, bringing them in. So that's something that we've, you know, every time we do it, it's a great success. I don't think we do it enough. And again, it's just because we're so focused on the day-to-day -day running of the business that 
pulling something like that together takes extra effort, but I always find that it's usually other people stepping up and saying, let's do it and I'll help you do it. And then it comes together. So we just probably need to leverage that even more. So with those events, you know, people that wanted to do it, have you ever asked, came up to you and just be like, can we do it here? Anything like that? Um, like, Hey, we want to watch an event here. Can we pull up the screen or we want to do a barbecue? Can we do it outside and then have it like a, as a part of the gym or anything like that? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's how like the barbecue happened this summer. Like, Hey, we want to do it. Can we do it at the gym? Can we do it inside? Can we do it outside? Can we do both? Like, uh, yeah. Okay. And then they all got together, pulled it, pulled it off. We didn't have to do much other than just show up and make sure things were running smoothly. So, yeah. I mean, that's, um, if you can do that, it helps build that community. And every time we've done it, it's great. We need to do more of it. You ever thought of trying to put it on like a schedule, like a semi-annual, like a winter event or summer event? Yeah, we probably should because that would hold us more accountable to planning it and doing it. Again, that's why I like the idea of maybe the birthday party thing where every year somewhere, you know, we opened in March. So if we can do it maybe towards the end of March when the weather's typically a little bit nicer around here, um, that might be a good annual event that we do that brings in, again, all not just current members, but, you know, all past members, past staff, just making everybody feel welcome, whether they're a current member or alumni. Um, and then that would be an annual thing we could do. And then maybe putting something else in the summer or fall that we can just put on the calendar. All right. That's all my questions. You had any thing, any interesting stories you wanted to tell anything like that? Uh, boy, interesting stories. Well, um, I won't go into the, the gory detail, but Max, you've already, um, referenced the, how we came to be. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I will say this. So we went through an interesting journey where we were training at another place and there were, there was great instruction there. Um, great people there. The business was not run well. And I don't think we, well, I know we didn't know at the time how poorly it was run. We couldn't see behind the scenes. Um, but Renee and I got pulled into that business first as some, you know, potential part owners in it. And then eventually with the idea that we were going to buy it and I'm going to try to be careful here. Let me just say this. If you ever want to buy another business, and that was our first plan before we, we opened this from scratch, like we rented a, I mean, we leased the place, built it out, built it from scratch. We did have a small group of people from jujitsu that came with us, but otherwise we had to grow it on our own. But if you ever buy a business, you first really need to look at the financials carefully. And if you aren't good at that, if you don't know P&Ls and balance sheets, hire an accountant to take a look at it, figure out what's going on, if it looks like a good investment, if there's things that are being hidden or covered up, um, because that can really be eye-opening. You can be buying basically a flaming bag of shit that looked really nice on the outside. Um, and then also, if you were ever going into business with somebody, check that person out carefully. I mean, thoroughly. Like court records and anything else you can find to find out if that person is really a good person or if they're hiding some some horrible things. You never want to find that out after you've signed some sort of legal binding agreement. Um, in the end, the place we were training at, you know, it well went up in flames, right? Not f- literally, but oh, to pretty, go back to pretty that, much, well, pretty much did. <laughs> being shut down overnight, doors chained and padlocked, people out of jobs, people who had paid membership money out of their membership. Uh, yeah, that was um that was a tough time, and that's you know for us to get our start from that. I do think of again the Phoenix mythology of we literally did have to rise from the ashes out of that that whole 
group of people trying to stick together. We ended up renting space at another gym for a while. Um, that gym, by the way, has gone out of business. Um, our neighbors here just went out of business this last week. Like running a gym is hard. Even if you are ethical and honest, it's really hard. If you're dishonest, maybe you can cheat the system for a little bit longer, but you're eventually going to get caught and it's going to, it's going to go down the tube. So, um, so it's an interesting story. Again, I won't get into all the details because I don't want to disparage people publicly, but um, you got to really be careful if you're going to buy a business and if you're going to go into business with somebody. And that's those lessons, though, I think were really helpful. So taking the, the mistakes others made, and we get to see it firsthand and know that those are some of the challenges we're going to face. And then every step along the way, when forced to make a decision between uh, – the cut the corners, find a shortcut option versus the do the hard thing, but the right thing. We've always tried to come down on that, do the hard thing, do the right thing, because in the long run, we know it'll keep us safe and protect us uh, when we see others that eventually go up in flames, go out of business, because they've been trying to just cheat their way there. Yeah, that's a wild, wild amount of advice. You got any uh, shout-outs left? Any shout-outs, anything, sign-offs? No, I mean, just... Um, I'll turn it back towards you. I, you, know, you were one of the you are one of the original people that came with us, not just training, but then working with us. And that's something that as a when you're launching a small business, it's scary, right? I mean, you've got this dream, you've got this idea, you can run all your financial projections, you've no idea if it's going to turn out well or not. But at some point, again, you can only do so much yourself. You've got to surround yourself with with talent, and that talent has to be people that you can trust. And, and not trust just in the sense of they have good intentions, but they have good intentions and they have the ability to execute. Like they're consistent, they're reliable. That's such a hard thing to find. And with you, we were lucky to find that. So you were able to help us every step of the way. I mean, we were literally like cleaning this place out when we first leased it and having to break walls down, haul things out, clean floors and find a bunch of fire extinguishers. Yeah. I mean, just the things that we had to do. And there was just a small handful of people helping us do that. uh, And with you being one of them. So I think a shout out is mainly to you to have been there for that journey. Um, Bittersweet to have you leave to go pursue your own dreams in life but of course that's it's like you know watching your children grow up and they have to move out at some point you're you're proud for them but you're you know a little bit sad that they're they're leaving too so i've been thrilled watching you go off continue your jujitsu training now beating the pants off me and many others uh, again a bittersweet moment of, it's just as you're old man uh yeah well yeah that's a, I mean, that's that's the excuse i'm gonna go with um <laughs> you're in your prime and i'm not so you can beat me now um but watching you do things like this podcast, experiment, try new things. You don't know where you're going to be in 20 years. I, I didn't know 20 years ago that I was going to be running a gym, a fitness and martial arts business that would look anything like this, even if I did envision someday I would. So you have no idea what it's going to be, and it'll be interesting to see what it is, but uh, I'm going to be fascinated watching your journey. But thrilled and thankful for all that you've done along the way for us because it's been um, you know, something that we just can't say enough good things about. We're so thankful. Yeah, I mean – I want to thank you too because you know I don't I don't mention this enough you know Ethan's one of those guys that's been a, a true mentor for me he's 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 been the kind I mean I kind of lived vicariously through him when he opened this gym and that might have been one of the reasons I was around so long because I was just like oh how did he do this or how did he do that or maybe he should do this and and it's just one of those things where he he's 
grown up in a very very unique situation you know it's it's from corporate america to the true i true ideal american you know it's like living the the dream of owning a small business and being able to do all this and coming from an environment where it was the, like the true america you know like you you climbed the corporate ladder you did all these different things and and you gave up that career you retired at what like 42 40ish something like that yeah, let's see. Um, this is four years in, forty-seven. So about forty. I walked around. I walked out about forty-two, forty-three. Yep. Yeah, and so I mean, it's it's just. A, I would say I would caveat that did not retire. I did not have fuck you money. Yeah. <laughs> I had no thanks for a little while money. Yeah, quote um, unquote retired. Right. Yeah. So there was no retiring. It was going from one thing to another. Um, and on that, I'll say, you know, if you do want to open your own business. You either need to work for a long, long time and save it up, or you're going to need to start small and bootstrap it. Um, because even like this that we started with, we again, in hindsight, I probably would have been even a little bit more, or you know, have more urgency in trying to grow it faster um, because it grew slower than we expected. But you know, and you've heard this joke, and I've said it a million times. But um, the quickest way to a million dollars is to start with two million and open a gym. Yeah. So or any small business. So you just have to be prepared for that. So. You know, either pay your dues working for somebody else for a long time to save up money and learn along the way, or take some risks and go out and do it when you're young and you don't have many responsibilities, but know that you will be starting small, bootstrapping. It won't be a really nice facility. It won't be in a nice location, um, but that's probably a good way to do it too because you're going to learn along the way without huge risk. So good for you for being there and taking those lessons to heart. So if anybody you know wants to take away anything from this, it's if you do have this passion to go do this, first of all, connect with people who've already done it. They are It's just tremendous how people, and I'm not just myself, but people I've worked with too, are so willing to give their advice, to help with anything they can, share experiences, give some lessons learned. But if you get the chance to actually go work, even just intern, sit side by side with somebody who's doing that, get to see the behind the scenes, what they're truly doing. So you can decide, do you really want to do that or not? And what is it going to take? So you've done that. You've got a, you've been always bright uh, at putting yourself in the right spot and learning all the lessons you can from that and not just taking it as a, ah, I'm here, I'm just going to do my job and move on. But just, just sucking the life out of whatever you're in. We're trying to absorb every bit of it. That's, that's brilliant. Um, more people need to do that. Yeah, I'm going to open a Phoenix too, guys. Just wait. But... Yeah, this this for sure has been probably the longest episode that I'll ever record for a while. But um, you know, guys, if you're ever in Richmond, Virginia, and you you want a place to train for a little bit, or even if you're moving here, you know this this is a fantastic place to uh, to go to. And even if you don't stick around here, you know they're gonna recommend a better place for you. You know they they're always just trying to make sure that you're the best you you can possibly be, and that's that's my goal as well. Um, but you know, I just want to thank Ethan for being on the show. I want to thank um, you guys for watching. If you guys are new listeners and you want to hear more, I try and post every Monday. You can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I think Pandora, too, now, which is which is kind of weird. I don't know how Sweet. they're going to do that. Um, but, again, if you guys, if you're ever in Richmond, you want to come visit or just check out his website, you know. Website's pretty cool. But um, for the regular listeners, guys, thank you so much for the continued views, continued listens. I do want to constantly, constantly mention I have a Patreon page. So if you want to give some direct support, you can do it there. Um, and otherwise, you know, guys, thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing day. Get out there, get hungry, and good luck.